Well, good morning to you. And uh, last week, we started a short series called Closing with Christ. This uh, today is part two in the final part of that series. Um, but if you uh, weren't here for that, uh, a lot of what we're going to be, I'm going to be saying today will make way more sense if you listen to that sermon. So um, uh, just to review, though, what I mean by closing with Christ is I mean that when we close with Christ, we seal the deal with him. We come to Jesus and we ask him to save us. And uh, we saw last week that the only right way to God is not based on works and it's not based on keeping the law, but it's based on grace through faith in Christ. That's the only way that is acceptable to come to God. And it's a way that's offered to all in the good news of Jesus. It's offered to all. Jesus is God's plan of salvation for the world, and there's no plan B. He is the only way to salvation for the world. Now today we continue in the same text. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Romans chapter 10, which is on page 946 of the Bibles in front of you. And we're going to start today at verse 14. But as you're turning there, let me connect you to the context of these verses. So scripture just has made a climactic claim in verse 13 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what we marveled at last week, that this God who uh, recognizes us all as rebels and who has created us all actually has provided a way for us to come back to him, and it's by faith in Christ. We marveled at that together, that though we're rebels against God, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be put into right relationship with our maker, with our creator. Our relationship with our maker will be restored through faith in Christ. It's as simple as that. But today's text will now address how people get to that point. How do they get to that turning point? Last week, we talked about the way of salvation being faith in Jesus. This is the message of the church. Okay, this is what we say. Now, this week, we're talking about the way this message comes to us. That is, this week, we're talking about the mission of the church, what we're supposed to be about as a church. What I hope to show you today is that the church doesn't just do missions. We don't just have a category in our churches of ministry that says, oh yeah, we, we do missions here. No, the church is actually a people on mission to the nations, okay? So I love what David Bosch says. He says, He's a missiologist, okay? He studies missions and he teaches missions. He says, Christianity is missionary by its very nature, or it denies its very raison d'etre, okay? Laugh at my French, it's okay. <laughs> it denies its very existence if Christianity, if our churches are not missionary. We are to be missionary. We are to be moving outward. With the gospel. So Jesus sent his church out on a mission to the world, and unless we believers tell people about Jesus and they believe in him, they will die in their sins. They will be lost forever. There's a right and a wrong way back to God, and the only right way back to him is based on grace through faith in Christ. Now, this begs the question 
If there's only one way back to God, why isn't everyone believing it? And what about those who've never heard it? To answer those questions, we should recall what Paul already wrote in Romans 1 through 3. Romans says that there is none righteous, no, not one. It also says that no one seeks after God. So if anyone comes to a point where they're seeking God for salvation and seeking to be made right with him, that's only because God sought them out first. We love him because he first loved us. And the way God seeks us out is by sending out his people to tell us the good news about Jesus. The message comes to our ears through the church, through ordinary people telling other people about the plan of salvation through Jesus. That's God's plan to change the world. Today we'll see that the right way to God is based on grace through faith in Christ. Keeping it very simple today. The right way to God is based on grace through faith in Christ. Uh, before we dig in, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word is very strong, very powerful. It is constantly searching us, constantly exposing us for our selfishness, our sin, and our rebellion. And at the same time, Lord, your word strikes, it pierces, and it heals. It brings a touch of heaven to our hearts. And so we pray that your spirit would use your word in a wonderful way today and bring people to faith in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing we see in this text is that the only right way to God, the right way to God is offered through gospel preaching. Uh, we're looking at verse 14 of Romans 10, where it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So these verses show us the way God works to get his word into our hearts and our ears. How did salvation come to you? How did it come to me? Well, someone was sent by God to tell us about Christ. Then we believed what we heard about him for salvation, right? It's as simple as that. Paul uses rhetorical questions in verse 14 to imply that we cannot believe in Christ unless we hear of him. And we cannot hear of him unless someone tells us about him. The point being, you cannot believe in Christ if you have never heard of him. This is God's plan for reaching and changing the world. It's how he reaches the nations. He gets the message out to his people by sending his people. He uses Christians when they preach the gospel to others. That's how salvation came to me, and if you're a Christian, that's how it came to you. Look at verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, Paul is quoting Isaiah 52 to support his argument that God sends preachers to bring good news of his salvation. Uh, God could have used any creature in the world to declare his plan of salvation. I guess he could have used angels. He could have used any means which he deemed appropriate, but God deems appropriate and has determined to use people preaching the gospel to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. 
The idea that humans aren't necessary in fulfilling the Great Commissions, or the Great Commission is not in the Bible. The message of Christ comes through a medium. Human beings, the church. Who did God send to you? Who preached the gospel to you? Was it a friend or a parent, a coach, a pastor? Many of you, or a neighbor, uh, many of you um, know that God uh, sent me a friend. Um, when I was a troubled uh, teenager in grade 11, his name is Johannes. Uh, he had just immigrated uh, to Canada from Ethiopia. And uh, when we were in high school, when all our peers were trying to get popular, uh, Johannes was trying to reach me for Jesus, and he was telling me about the message of Christ. He wasn't a pastor or a missionary in the formal sense, but he sure was sent by God to preach to me. Uh, in fact, sometimes he'd preach to me for hours upon hours and hours. And I remember saying, I love Johannes, but I hate it when he preaches. <laughs> and, uh, um, but I'll never forget that one time when he was preaching to me, he was telling me about Christ, he dropped this verse from Scripture, and it struck me like, um, it struck my heart like an arrow. He told me that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I knew uh, that I didn't want Jesus, but I also knew that I was for sure lost. So that, that was kind of a rock in my shoe. And it was like, oh man, I, I know this is true. And uh, the Lord was working um, as he dropped that truth in my heart. So I didn't want Jesus, but I knew I was lost. And uh, looking back at that, although it was very annoying and awkward when Johannes would tell me about Jesus, um, I'm so thankful that Jesus was working through Johannes. And I'm so thankful that Johannes came to Canada with God's mission on his mind. He was not going to waste his years in high school just playing around for popularity. He was trying to reach people for Jesus. And uh, I'm so glad he was, he was focused on that mission because God worked through him to bring salvation to me. How are they to hear without someone preaching? If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and the good news. You've been commanded to preach Christ by Christ to those around you. Are you? Students from elementary to university, don't think that you're too young for this. Who is God sending you to preach to on campus, at school? Workers from part-time to full-time, who is God sending you to preach to? Neighbors, who is God sending you to preach to? They must hear to believe, so speak. But if they don't believe, don't be shocked. Oh, and by the way, um, Johannes uh, is still on mission, and you can read about him in your missions insert He's back to his country, and he's back reaching people for Christ in that great continent of Africa. And so praise God for, for him and for his family. But if people don't believe around us, what should we do? Uh, first of all, we shouldn't be shocked. Because hearing isn't all that matters for salvation. In fact, many people hear about Christ but don't believe in him, right? As Michael Kruger says, hearing and even understanding the gospel message does not mean someone will believe it. This requires the work of the Holy Spirit. Aren't we dependent as people of God 
We're dependent on his word and we're dependent on him, his Holy Spirit, to actually make that word alive to people. And so we trust that he will be at work in it and we pray behind it. Now this is what we see next. Not everyone believes the good news and this is nothing new. It wasn't new to Paul. He even quotes back to Isaiah 53, that great passage on the suffering servant to prove his point. In verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, But they have not obeyed, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith comes when the Holy Spirit takes his word and brings us to the point of believing the gospel. Here referred to as obeying the gospel. The gospel is a word from God that must be humbly believed. And once we've believed it, we're inclined to obey God himself because he changes our hearts. He even inclines us to obedience. Refusing to believe in him is disobedience. But not all who hear the gospel will believe the gospel. But we must keep preaching and not hesitate or waver based on the responses around us. This is what marks faithful prophets in the Old Testament. This is what marks faithful churches in our day-to-day. We keep on praying and preaching for those to come to faith in Christ, and we know that God will save his people through these means. So brother and sister, you want to see your family and friends come to Christ, right? I know I do. Then we must keep praying and preaching to them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And when we hear the word of Christ, it is Christ's voice speaking in the word. This is remarkable. Uh, Listen to John Murray's comments on verse uh, 17. He says, A striking feature of this clause is that Christ is represented as being heard in the gospel when proclaimed by the sent messengers. The implication is that Christ speaks in the gospel proclamation. So when people hear the gospel through us, Christ is speaking through us. And Christ is calling out people by name, as it were, in the gospel. Recently, I've been challenged in my evangelism by watching my children. Uh, My kids often ask people, just at random, do you know the Lord? (laughs) <laughs> I love it. Uh, now, this is amazing because my kids, they, uh, they, they know the Bible. They're, they're learning the Bible here in Sunday school, and they're learning the Bible throughout their days. Uh, they know that the Bible says that if people don't believe in Christ, they will die in their sins and go to hell. They also know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And they also know that true followers of Jesus will tell people about him. That's as simple as that, isn't it? They've been talking to many people about the Lord as opportunity arises, family members, neighbors, and friends, and I'm so proud of them. And I'm also convicted by their example. (laughs) I want to learn from their example, their boldness, because it's simple to them. It's straightforward. People need Jesus, and we need to tell them. Jesus speaks highly of childlike faith. Christian brother and sister, if you believed in Christ, it's normal for you to be burdened for your loved ones and to pray for them. And it's normal for you to tell them about Jesus. How are you doing here? 
Let's encourage each other to be people that are faithfully telling others about Jesus. He is the only Savior. There is no other. Now, reaching out is a challenge. I recognize that. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for you. At times, it's awkward. It's difficult. And we have all the excuses in the world, don't we? You know? It's not the fast lane to popularity either. We can always find excuses not to talk about Jesus to people, but this is the very means God uses to save people. Remember what the Lord told Paul when he was working in the city of Corinth. He said in Acts 18, 9-10, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. God calls us believers to preach to those around us. Some will believe, some won't. We leave the responses to the Lord. But we must go on speaking and not be silent. God is still saving through the word of Christ. So church, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. God is with you. Next, Paul shows us that the right way to God is rejected and received by people everywhere. Look at verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now Paul is quoting from the Old Testament to prove the need of preaching the gospel for anyone to get saved. He starts with referring back to Psalm 19 which teaches that the heavens declare or preach the glory of God to the ends of the earth. In theology, we call this general revelation. But what's interesting is that he uses that text about general revelation to speak about special revelation. In theology, a different category. Special revelation is the written word of God that tells us the specifics of who we are, who God is, and how to get right with him. So Paul quotes... Back to Psalm 19, verse 4, which speaks of the sky declaring or preaching the glory of God universally. Uh, but Paul is using that text to speak of Christian preachers declaring the glory of God through the word of Christ to the ends of the earth. His point seems to be that nobody can make excuses that they've never heard or understood the gospel. And he has Israel in mind here. But he's saying Christian preachers are spreading the message of Jesus to the ends of the world. And he's using Israel as an example of people who heard preaching. They heard the gospel, and yet they didn't believe. Doug Moo explains this. He says, As uh, God's word of general revelation has been proclaimed all over the earth, so God's word of special revelation in the gospel has been spread all over the earth. His intention is not to interpret the verse of the psalm but to use its language with the echoes of God's revelation that it awakens to assert the universal preaching of the gospel. Uh, but don't we believe today, in the 21st century, that there are still literally unreached people groups in the world? I mean, Paul was writing in the first century, and now we're, we're, we're way past that, and, and we believe that there are unreached people groups even still today. So how can he be saying that everyone heard? And doesn't this fact about the unreached people groups of the world fuel missions to go to the nations today? Uh, yes, it does, often. 
So how can Paul be saying that the gospel has been preached to the ends of the world in the first century? Well, I don't think he means that every individual in the world has heard about Christ. I'm... I think what he's saying here is he's using Israel as a case study of unbelief. I think he's saying that a great many people have had opportunity to hear, but they still didn't believe what they heard. So the Jews cannot plead ignorance and say that they didn't have an opportunity to hear of Christ. Opportunity and proximity to the gospel is not going to automatically guarantee that we believe in Jesus. The point is the human heart is stuck in a rut of unbelief. And this stretches from nation to nation, from pole to pole, everywhere in the world, all throughout history. We are stuck in unbelief. Now look at verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Continuing to quote from the Old Testament, Scripture here anticipates what we see throughout history, and especially throughout church history. Israel will respond to the church and the gospel with deep hatred. The Jewish people, though the gospel came first to them, it was not received warmly by them at all. Instead, in a far-reaching way, the majority of Israel hated the message and violently opposed it and anyone who spoke of it. If you want a testimony of this, read the book of Acts. Watch the life of Paul. Watch the life of the apostles. But just because the Jews don't receive the gospel doesn't mean that God stops working through the gospel that they reject. Others do receive the gospel. When the Jews reject it, people like Paul turn to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles, that is most of us who are not Jewish, receive the gospel. By faith, they receive God's promises of salvation, and they become God's very people. As 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10 says, of us believers, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we non-Jewish believers today aren't left out because we're not Jewish. We get all of Christ. We who were not a people are now God's people. And though Israel is willfully resisting Christ, God is working out his plan of salvation in this world and in history. And that means that if anyone... Jewish or Gentile comes to faith, it's because God chose to seek and to save us. He chose to reveal or show himself to us. And he doesn't wait for our permission to show himself to us. He even reveals himself to people who don't ask for him. Again, look at the life of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He's not seeking to do noble things. He's seeking to kill the church. And what does God do? Reveal himself to Paul. Jesus reveals himself as Lord. Look at verse 20. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Oh, that's a treasure of a verse. That is a treasure of a verse. 
Listen to what Herman Bovink says of this. He says, we cannot credit a knowledge of God to ourselves, to our own discovery, investigation, or reflection. If it were not given us by an act of free and unobliged favor, there would be no possibility that we could ever achieve it by an exertion of our own efforts. Except he let himself be found, we cannot seek him. Except he give himself, we cannot accept him. Knowledge of God is possible, therefore, only on the basis of a revelation from God's side. A knowledge of God is available to man only when and insofar as God freely chooses to reveal himself. God saves by causing himself to be known and enjoyed in Christ. So when we preach Christ to people, God reveals himself to people. He is the God who saves, and he saves us by revealing himself to us, even when we don't ask for it. So when we think about the, uh, the people, um, when we think about the people um, who have never heard of Jesus, first we must recognize in God's providence that God has placed every single one of us in our neighborhoods where we are. We must also think biblically about those who have not heard the gospel. What does the Bible say about them? Well, according to Romans, they aren't innocent people. There's no such thing. None of us are. They, like us, are sinners in rebellion against their maker. Nobody seeks after God. And this is exactly what Romans 10 has motivated the church. This is exactly why Romans 10 has motivated the church into the nations throughout church history. Uh, missionaries have read these words and seen themselves in the text and said, I must go. And we, church, must go. Not everybody is going to be moving overseas to declare the message, but some of us will. And where we are placed by God's grace means we must continue to speak this message to those around us. That's how people come to faith. It's an emergency, church. People all over the world, every day, are dying and going to hell. Church, we must never lose the urgency of evangelism and missions to the nations. They don't love God, and they don't believe in Jesus, and they must hear of him to believe in him. There is no other way for them to be saved. We, believers, must go and tell them that if they confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. This is God's plan of salvation, and there is no plan B. Are you a believer in Christ as Lord? If not, let's talk after the service. I'd love to chat a little more. But for now, let's look at verse 21. Scripture continues, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Though Christ is often rejected among the, Gentile, among the Jewish people and the nations of the world, this doesn't mean he's an ineffective savior. He's not weak or wimpy. He is the powerful savior. He's always saving people in extraordinary ways throughout the world. And though many people reject him, 
This doesn't mean that God has rejected his people Israel either. The next thing we see is that the right way to God is received by a remnant chosen by grace. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So though the majority of Jewish people have not believed the gospel, Paul says there is a remnant within the nation who do believe the gospel. And he uses himself as an example of that remnant. Right? He says, I'm an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He's showing us that God isn't done saving Jewish people. God was saving people even then, like the Apostle Paul, who were Jewish. God hasn't rejected his his people whom he foreknew or loved beforehand. And he uses another example in Israel's history when things were very bad. He uses Elijah as an example. Look at verse 2. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. Uh, What's Paul saying here? He's saying Elijah lived in a day when God's people were entrenched in unbelieving rebellion. And he's using the unbelief of the Jews as a comparison here. He says, they were killing God's prophets and they were worshiping idols, specifically that deeply dark idol of Baal. And I think he's referring here to Ahab and Jezebel. While Elijah himself was getting death threats from them, he looked to God and said, God, uh, they're trying to kill me. And I'm the only one left. Do something. Please do something. He's actually praying against them. And then look at what God says in verse 4. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. (laughs) So Elijah was not alone, though he felt alone. Nor was Paul alone in his day, though he may have felt alone. Nor are you, if you're a Jewish believer in Christ, alone today. Nor are you and I the only believers today. God has determined to keep a believing remnant within the widespread unbelief of Israel. And I think there is a believing remnant of Christians throughout the widespread unbelief of the world today as well. And how is this remnant saved by God in the world and kept for God in the world It's by God's grace. It's by God's grace. Remember, we saw last week, Israel didn't get God based on their ethnicity. It's by grace. By grace. By grace. Look at verse 5. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Explaining these verses, Doug Moo says, Jews are, not, are no different from Gentiles at this point. Only by God's gracious intervention can they be transformed by, uh, from sinners doomed to die into righteous people destined for eternal life. Oh, now it's simple, isn't it? All mankind are sinners, and all mankind need grace. Jew or Gentile need the gospel. Just so we didn't miss the gospel in this discussion, we're reminded 
that when God saves, it is all by his grace all the way. Salvation doesn't come by works. God is the Savior. If there was any human merit considered in God's choice of us, then grace would lose its very meaning. Grace means that God shows unmerited or unearned favor to us. It doesn't come by merits or works. It isn't earned or else it isn't grace, right? In other words, nobody gets saved because they're a good person. God chooses us by grace. That is unmerited, unearned favor. We had nothing to do with his decision of us. He chose us because he chose to. And he's free to show favor to whomever he wants. I love what John Murray says. If grace is conditioned in any way by human performance or by the will of man impelling to action, then grace ceases to be grace. Wow. I remember the summer I got saved very clearly. Um, I told you a little bit about this last week. It was a dramatic time of my life. So much was happening before my very eyes. I, 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 didn't, I wish I journaled back then because there was so much amazing things happening. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't know how to make sense of it all. Uh, so I was reading my Bible. I went to a store and got a Bible. And uh, I hardly knew anything about Christianity at this point, just from what a friend had told me. And uh, I had buy, bought a Bible, but I didn't even know where to start reading. Um, but uh, I went to a Catholic school growing up, so I had heard about the Ten Commandments. I think that's pretty important. Uh, so I started reading them, and I immediately felt disturbed. Um, the, the guilt of my sin became uh, a cause of, uh, uh, it, it was bugging me. And so I went to my computer, and back in the day, we, I went to MSN Messenger, and I pulled up my, my friend, and I asked my friend, uh, I, I told my friend that I was uh, reading the Ten Commandments, and I didn't know what to do because I broke most of them many times. And uh, <laughs> uh, then she said something that uh, both confused and relieved me. She said, that's the point. It's about grace. And uh, I realized that being a Christian wasn't about my performance. I was so relieved. It was all about Jesus and what Jesus had done for me. He died and rose again to save me from my law-breaking ways and my law-breaking guilt. Remember what Acts 11, or sorry, 15.11 says. And be relieved by these very words, friend. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. It's by grace. Do you believe that you'll be saved through the grace of Jesus? Grace greater than all your sin. Or are you looking to be saved by your good deeds? Jesus is gracious to save. Trust in him. There's no other savior. Now we come to the end of the argument that began back in chapter 9 of verse 30 of Romans. And this is our final point today. The right way to God is rejected by the rest, hardened by God. Look at verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. 
And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Now, the point of this text is clear. Some of Israel failed to be saved, not because they didn't have access to the gospel or because God has rejected them as a whole. Those who were saved were saved because God elected or chose them for salvation. What's true of Israel is true of us today. We only ever get saved if God saves us. He chooses us by his grace and elects us. We will hear the gospel. If, if he chooses us by his grace and elects us, we will hear the gospel and respond in faith. As Doug Moo says, God's grace is the efficient cause of salvation. Human faith being not its basis, but its results. So no one will get saved and go to heaven, or sorry, no one will get to heaven and say, I deserve to be here. Uh, no one will get to heaven and say, I'm here because I'm a good person, or I worked for this. Everyone will be saying, we were chosen by grace. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. As Romans 9, 14 through 18 says, what shall we say then? Is there an injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. That's what the Bible says. That God is at work both in showing mercy to whomever he wills and hardening whomever he wills. And the hardening here means that God gives unbelieving Israel, and I think we can say unbelievers throughout history and the world, a spirit of stupor meaning they stumble and can't see salvation. They stumble over salvation. They don't take it. Now, that's what the text says. What this text doesn't do is resolve our discomfort with these truths or answer all our questions about these things. But our discomfort doesn't disprove the truth. And our questions about the mysteries of God are not a reason to sidestep him, what he has spoke or what he has spoken and revealed clearly in his word. What is clear at the end of this series is that there is only one way to be in right standing with God, and that's by faith in Jesus. Everyone who calls on him for salvation will be saved. That's what he says. And nobody will call on Christ unless we go tell them about him. God chooses and reveals himself to them by grace in the gospel. But since the elect don't glow in the dark, we, church, must continue to preach the gospel to everyone we can. If they get saved, that's because of God's mercy and grace. So let me ask you, have you been saved? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you confessed that he is Lord? That he died for your sins and rose again? That's how we close with Christ. And if you haven't yet, I pray you will today.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is at work and that your spirit works through it in mysterious and magnificent ways. And we pray that you would work that salvation into hearts today and that your name would be glorified. We pray for the nations of the world, those who have not yet heard of Christ. And we pray that your church throughout the world, wherever she is, would be burdened for the things of Romans 10 and remind us here even today in Ottawa that we must go and tell, tell of Christ the Lord. And we pray that the nations would believe in him and be glad. We pray this in Jesus' name.